SMS SAFM now on 41391. Late Night Conversations, Monday to Thursday, 10 p.m. till midnight. 20 minutes to uh, 11 o'clock on SAFM Late Night Conversations. My name is Patricia Ntuli. Let me remind you that at 11 o'clock, Zolega Kodasha comes in with the final news bulletin for the evening. And after that, we'll be going closet conversations, very sensitive conversation that we'll have this evening because we'll be talking about gender-based violence and uh, some of the, the the issues that have been coming up. And it's a, a topic that we can never stop talking about until we see the end of gender-based violence and uh, and and all the nasty fruits around it. Let's make sure that we are interacting. Let me remind you the numbers are 0614-104-107. That's on WhatsApp. On SMS, it's 41391. SMS is a charge at 150. I'd like you to also call in a team on 0891-104-207. Alternatively on 11 714 2006 or 011 714 A team, I'm, I'm so honored and excited to be speaking to the legendary Tembisa Fakute. Um, we know that Tembisa Fakute is holding up the flag of South Africa internationally. He is uh, Al Jazeera's uh, research analyst and uh, at the, the Al Jazeera Center for Studies in Qatar, Doha. And he is also a columnist for uh, Middle East Monitor, London, United Kingdom. Tembisa, thank you very much for joining us uh, this evening. Very humbled to have you. Thank you very much. And we- thanks for... Thanks for a very uh, nice and over-exaggerated <laughs> introduction. <laughs> <laughs> this is the thing about legends, right? They are always humble. And that what that's what keeps you legendary, the fact that you can touch on the pulse of the international world but still stay so humble. Thank you. <laughs> I think I'm making you blush there. Let me stop. We are talking about uh, a, a deal that was said to be, uh, you know, Trump's one of Trump's biggest announcements uh, pre his um, pre the elections in uh, the United States. So on the 13th of August, uh, we heard that uh, Israel and the United Arab Emirates have agreed to normalize relations. So I'd like you to please take us through this. What does this deal mean? And are things still the same as what they were announced to be on the 13th of August? Well, things are not the same anymore because uh, Bahrain and UAE have now normalized relations with Israel. In other words, they'll start exchanging uh, diplomats and uh, soon open embassies in, uh, in in Abu Dhabi and in Manama, and Israel will also reciprocate. So that is what's going to be happening moving forward. But what makes this still more interesting is that the Arab countries have made a commitment that they will not recognize the state of Israel until it uh, it grants uh, Palestinians the right to a statehood. And uh, what we've seen is a renegation from that commitment. But it's not the first time that a Arab or Arab countries have done uh, this to the Palestinians. In 1979, Egypt uh, normalized relations with Israel. And they were followed in 1994 by Jordan. So those are the two Arab countries. Of course, there's Mauritania. It's questionable whether Mauritania forms part of the Arab world or not. But currently, or before Bahrain and the United Arab Emirates, we had two 
Arab countries proper who had recognized Israel. So this makes it four Arab countries who have recognized Israel. So what this does, of course, is, you know, it kind of uh, weakens the solidarity or the Arab solidarity uh, on Palestine uh, and, and the pressure uh, against Israel to to try and implement certain uh, things within Palestinian territories, particularly opening up the economy and opening up the borders and allowing people to move freely uh, and to trade, particularly uh, with, with with Egypt. Uh, so we, 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 instead we're seeing Israel continuing to bombard uh, Palestinian territories, particularly uh, Gaza. So the, discont- the, the discontentment and the uh, anger from the Arab uh, uh, countries or Arab uh, communities in, in various parts of the Middle East comes as a result of Israel's continual uh, bombardment of Gaza. Uh, and whilst that is happening, you see the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain normalizing relations. So that's where the controversy is. But over and above that, uh, the UAE has said that they have signed this deal with, 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 with Israel and as a result, they've averted the annexation of the, the West Bank because, you know, part of the so-called deal of the century or the trans deal was that Israel was going to annex part of the West Bank and in exchange it was going to try and open up the economy, particularly in, in, in Gaza. So the UAE has said that what motivated uh, it to uh, sign this uh, or to normalize relations in Israel was to try and avert the further annexation of of the West Bank, which would have, of course, would have caused uh, another strife and would have caused, uh, you know, um, civil civil strife within the Palestinian territories in the West Bank. Now, we are sitting at a place where I think this means quite a lot um, because it it, is a total change. Yes, it's been coming for a couple of years. But now that we are where we are globally and I think the entire international world is also looking at the impact of this particular deal on the Trump um, presidential campaign, what is that impact, if there is any? Well, Trump stands to benefit from this because obviously uh, he will be seen as one of the U.S. presidents who has achieved the impossible in the Middle East, uh, which is uh, achieving some sort of peace between uh, two Arab countries and Israel, uh, something that uh, many uh, U.S. presidents have attempted to do but failed. So this could, in a way, boost uh, Trump. Uh, Trump's um, favorability within the the U.S. If 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 if, if other countries, particularly Saudi Arabia and others, uh, follow suit, which is most likely to happen in the next couple of months, uh, we don't know yet. But it's, it, it, the, the the signals are that Saudi Arabia might also uh, sign or normalize the deal with with Israel. So that will boost the popularity of Donald Trump within the U.S. It's anticipated. And it will also help Benjamin Netanyahu, who's currently facing protests in his own country uh, for his failure to to deal or tackle the challenges of COVID-19. And he's also facing uh, corruption charges and the protests are ongoing in Israel calling for him to resign. 
So if 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 this could also help uh, save the career or the political career of Benjamin Netanyahu, when it comes to uh, to the UAE, it places the UAE in a, in a much more powerful position within the Middle East. Um, there has been a power vacuum. Uh, before we used to have the Jordan and Egypt basically leading the the the, 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 the Arab Israeli peace negotiation. And there has been a vacuum for, 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 for some time now because of instability, particularly in, 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 in Egypt. So Mohammed bin Zayed, who is the current or de facto leader of the UAE, has identified uh, an opportunity and has taken it up, uh, assuming a new leadership role, not only in the Gulf, but in the entire world. So this is most likely to benefit all of them, the three uh, leaders, uh, uh, well, two from, from the region and one uh, in the U.S., Donald Trump. Well, the benefit is uh, seeming to be coming up. And, um, you know, the one thing I'd like us to go into is uh, the economic turnaround that this will bring for Gaza. But let's do that after we've allowed our AT Mangonde, who's holding on the line, to just weigh in on the conversation. Mangonde, good evening. Evening, Mangonde. Good evening, Let's get down to it with your guest. Uh, Patricia, the year was 1981, before you were born again, my darling. (laughs) Anwar Sadat, then president of Egypt, was assassinated, okay? Now, it looks to me that there will never be peace in the Middle East. The fact that um, UAE um, or Abu Dhabi seem to be cooling with Trump, okay? It means nothing to me, Patricia, because, and I guess I want to guess to cover this thing up, what about the military-industrial complex initiated by Trump, right? What about Iraq, Iran, not Iraq, Iran, um, the power within the Middle East and the progress Iran has got throughout the Middle East? I want to guess to tie those things up Patricia, good evening. Very good evening to you, Ngonde. Uh, Tembisa, Ngonde brings up quite a pertinent issue. A lot of issues. Uh, I don't know where to start. But uh, first of all, the concern is that the standalone foreign policy of the UAE and Bahrain is the only uh, troubling uh, move uh, in, in the Middle East because... In the past, we've seen the Middle East having this block foreign policy uh, position and the Gulf countries. So for the first time, we see uh, two countries having their own standalone policy uh, regarding the state of Israel. So that's, that, that's, that's the first point. And this is most likely, of course, to set a, a precedent within region where you start seeing uh, uh, other countries taking independent uh, positions when it comes to, to Israel. So what what would that mean to, to the Palestinians? Of course, the Palestinians mean it will mean for the Palestinians that they don't have this block, block support that they used to have from their own brethren in the region. And that's quite confirming. Two, it will certainly kill the existence of um, the Arab League and the Gulf uh, Cooperation Council, uh, which have always relied on the you know, the entire issue of Israeli-Palestinian 
politics for their existence. So if you remove the the Palestine or the Palestinian uh, Arab uh, conflict, uh, both of those platforms really become irrelevant. The only thing that they've managed to to find uh, consensus on has been the Palestinian-Israeli issue. On all other issues, they disagree, whether it's Syria, it's Yemen, uh, they've always disagreed. So if you remove this um, unifying uh, cause, which is Palestine, you are most likely to start experiencing uh, disagreements. And I will argue that uh, in due course, both the Arab League and the Gulf Cooperation Council will cease to exist. Now, regarding Iraq and Iran, that's that's another story because notwithstanding that they are both part of the Gulf, but they're not part of the GCC. So they've always had an independent uh, foreign policy position when it comes to, to Palestine and when it comes to the region as a whole. Iran is a power uh, on its own. It does not rely on the Arab League. And it continues to um, to stand alone on many other issues. And it hasn't had support from the countries in the region, particularly when it comes to its stance on Israel and the United States. So that's that, that that's the position of, 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 of Iran. Iraq, of course, it used to be also an independent country and it was not part of the GCC, but since the demise of Saddam Hussein, Iraq has moved much more closer because of the Shia population in Iraq, the majority of the the, the, the people of Iraq are Shia. So they have moved much more closer to Iran, uh, which therefore makes that Iraq-Iran alliance much more stronger towards uh, their own foreign policy and anti-U.S. and anti-Israeli stance. And what further uh, exacerbates the situation is the presence of the American troops and other foreign troops in Iraq. So it's, it's, it's a bit complicated. And you can't expect from now on that you're going to have a one-block position when it comes to uh, issues of Palestine or even issues of the Gulf or the Arab world. Um, it's going to be very difficult from now on to anticipate uh, them acting uh, in concert when it comes to foreign policy positions. Mm. I hope that makes sense. Well, I, I'd like us now to just uh, take a, a step back to where you, we were speaking about the, the opening up of the economy at the, in uh-huh. Gaza. What, what would this entail? And what will, 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 will the, the implications be for, for this entire group? Well, Gaza's got two borders, one with Israel and one with, uh, with, with Egypt. So the Rafah border has been the one that's been giving the last line to the people of Gaza. And it's controlled by both uh, the Egyptians and the Israelis. Um, but over the past couple of months, the Egyptians have had a, a much more, um, uh, like, you know, bigger control of, of of the border. So what will mean, I mean, part of the, the, the so-called deal of the century or Trump peace plan was to um, establish um, an airport, establish a port also, which will... Uh, it's anticipated that it will open up the economy of Gaza and the people of Gaza will start trading with the outside world. So that's that's the benefit for the Gazans. But there are also a lot of other disadvantages that um, the deal or this current deal of the century comes with, and which is it basically permanently separates or it would permanently separate the West Bank and Gaza, linking 
both uh, territories with a bridge. So yes, there will be economic activities between West Bank and Gaza, but uh, it will be very difficult for the Gazans uh, to to have an ind- economic independence in, in, uh, moving forward if this still does go through. Whatever they do, they'll always uh, depend on Egypt for their economic activities and, and success. And that is the problem because uh, Egypt, number one, there's a lot of instability in Egypt, particularly in the Sinai, uh, and no one really knows uh, what are the intentions or political intentions of of, of, um, of Abdel Fattah al-Sisi, who has in the past uh, like, you know, came up with very stringent uh, political decisions when it comes to uh, dealing with the people of Gaza. So he can be trusted by many Gazans. So Gaza or the Gazan people who like to have their own uh, independence dealing with the world without intervention of Israel or Egypt. So we'll have to wait and see uh, what will happen uh, in the next coming months. And when the, 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 when the, the deal of the century really kicks, kicks in. You know, as as we are looking at Gaza, I mean, have you had any feel of what the Gazians um, have in mind when it comes to this deal? Yes, they are obviously anticipating that they would like their own, own independence. But to have a bit of a glimpse of, of hope, and I'm using this word very loosely in inverted commas, of having an economy that could possibly thrive with these interventions, is that not uh, possibly igniting them to be excited about this particular deal? Well, I think it is exciting for some of the Gazans, but the only downside of the deal is that it permanently separates the Palestinian people. The West Bank uh, and Gaza will permanently be separated, which means, therefore, that we're going to have two centers of power once again. Hamas will, con- will continue governing uh, Gaza, and um, the, the PA or Palestinian Authority, which is dominated by PLO, uh, organization will continue uh, governing the West Bank. And that's not ideal because one of the objectives of is of organization like Hamas, for example, is, is to see a united uh, Palestine, which will involve Palestine in Gaza and Palestine in the West Bank, plus Palestine for aid, which is Israeli proper, because most of the Palestinians, um, uh, if you remember, come from Palestine 1948, which is what is now called Israel. And some of those people are languishing in the um, refugee camps in Syria, in Lebanon, and in Jordan. And most of them are looking at coming back home uh, at some stage. But if you accept this new deal of the century, those people will remain perpetual refugees because those countries that are currently hosting them, particularly countries like um, Lebanon and Jordan, have not given them uh, citizenship. They remain refugees. So that's the downside of the deal. Yes, it will open up Gaza. It will give them some sort of lifeline and they can start at least traveling. They will start uh, trading, uh, even though it will be controlled by Egypt. But the downside, of course, is that uh, it will further uh, polarize Palestine politically and also 
uh, geographically to uh, create this permanent uh, division between the Gaza and the West Bank. Tembisa, I need to go to the news. However, I'd like you to please stay um, with us so that we can talk about something that's quite of a, that's a bit of a secret. And that's, um, you know, the secret meetings that have been cited between uh, Israel and Saudi Arabia. Maybe you are privy to what they were talking about. But if that's okay with you, we can do it after the news bulletin. Excellent. Thank you so very much. We are continuing with our discussion with Tembisa Fakude about the steal of the century. And I'm sure you, A-teamers, would also like to know what the secret meetings have been about. Remember that you can dial in on 0891-104-207 or WhatsApp on 0614-104-107. Let's go to Zoleka Kotashe with the news bulletin. Late Night Conversations. Late Night Conversations. Monday to Thursday, 10 p.m. till midnight. Thank you very much, Zolega Kodashe. This is uh, Late Night Conversations. My name is Patricia Ntuli. Uh, we are continuing with uh, the discussions that we were having with uh, Tembi Safagude. Tembi Safagude is um, uh, Al Jazeera's research analyst at the Al Jazeera Center for Studies in Qatar, Doha. And he is also a communist for Middle East Monitor, London, United Kingdom. A South African who's holding up the flag of South Africa when it comes to international relations. He's got the pulse on all these issues. We are talking about the deal of the century. And uh, to wrap up this conversation, uh, let me let, let me tell you, A-teamers, that you are more than welcome to join in on the conversation, although we are about to wrap it up. But I'd love to hear from you if you feel that this deal is going to hold water. The number to dial is 0614104107. This is on WhatsApp or we'll call in on 0891104207, alternatively on 0117142006. Now, uh, before the news, uh, Tembi, so thank you very much for staying on. Before the news, you and I, uh, I was about to ask you to just give me a bit of gossip here. We are aware that Israel and Saudi Arabia have been reportedly engaging in secret meetings. Do you have any privy as to what these meetings were about and if these meetings are going to have any impact on this particular deal? Yeah, well, the meetings are about normalization of relations between the two. Well, they've already started talking. Mm. Um, the prince is very close to Jared Kushner, who's the senior advisor of Donald Trump and also his son-in-law. Uh, the, I mean, the crown prince, who is Mohammed bin Salman of Saudi Arabia. So they've been talking behind the scenes in terms of also normalizing relations with Israel, because this will be a great scoop for, for Donald Trump. That's one. But what prevents Saudi Arabia from uh, going full steam in terms of normalizing relations with Israel is because it is still seen as the as the trustee of Sunni Islam. In other words, it's the headquarters. Like that's where the papacy, for lack of a better term, resides in terms of Sunni Muslims. And uh, normalizing relations with Israel might just strip them of that uh, privilege because we know the two most holiest sites in Islam are both in Mecca and Medina and Saudi Arabia. Uh, so normalization of relations with Israel, who is seen to be oppressing, the Palestinians might just uh, strip them of that, um, that, that, that title.
So that's what's happening. That's the gossip. The gossip is that Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman and Jared Kushner are speaking, and they're speaking to try and normalize relations, one, but also if Saudi Arabia does normalize relations, it means that all other client states that uh, depend on Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates, uh, not only in the region but in other African countries, particularly countries like Sudan, are most likely also to follow suit in terms of normalizing relations. And the losers in that instance, if that happens, would be the Palestinians. Let me go to Sakile, um, who's holding on the line. Sakile, good evening, Atima. Yes, yes. Uh, how are you? Excellent, thank you. How are you? Yes, um, I just wanted to say, you know, I do watch um, Al Jazeera a little bit, and I like that journalist called Midi Hassan from Head to Head. Yes, I like him. Mm-hmm. But on the issue at hand, I think... I don't know how it's possible for for Gaza and the West Bank to to actually become states, because how do you how do you have a nation with two different um, set of leaders? You know, you've got Hamas, you've got the PLO, and then on top of that, there are settlements there in the West Bank, and they, and Israel is not stopping building those settlements. And another very crucial thing is the refugees. The refugees are scattered all over. Uh, I mean, you remember the the the, war, the, the, the civil war in 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 in, in Lebanon. I was still very young. They had uh, refugees as well from Palestine. They are still around. From they are still in Jordan. They are still in Lebanon. They are still in other Arab countries. What is going to happen to them? And how, what is going to happen to to Palestinians who are actually Israeli citizens who are part of Israel, mainstream? I just don't understand how this thing is going to work. Maybe your guest can actually shed a light on this confusion that I have, because I think this is a mess. Mm. And, Thank you. Thank you you very much, Sakile. Well, uh, Sakile brings up uh, the the messy side of this issue and the fact that uh, the two states have never been able to work. I mean, we we saw with uh, uh, George uh, W. Bush, we saw with uh, Barack Obama, and now with uh, Donald Trump. um, It's never been able to work. Uh, Tembisa, maybe responded to um, the the, the questions and the confusion that Sakile has uh, highlighted. Well, it's a legitimate question uh, because you have this uh, bantification of Palestine, so small little pieces of Palestine, uh, Palestines at the moment, one in Gaza and then you've got the West Bank, and even in the West Bank, as Sakina says, you've got settlements. So there are various schools of thought on how to go about sorting this one out. And uh, there's one that's kind of um, gaining momentum, which is a one-state solution. In other words, a South African type of solution where you have the Israelis and the Palestinians living together in harmony. Uh, so that that is most likely to work because, as Sakile correctly says, how are you going to unify Gaza and the West Bank? Uh, as it stands, it's not going to happen. Basically, they've created two countries, one with bordering Egypt and another one bordering Jordan. So if you want to bring all of those people together, the, the only way will be to have a, a one-state solution. But 
nobody is actually really talking about that at the government level. Everybody else is talking about a two-state solution. The Palestinians talking about the um, two-state solution with the 1967 borders uh, and leaving the rest to Israel. Then we have we have the other factions within the Palestinians, particularly Hamas, talking about a one-state solution, also including the 1948 borders, which is Israeli proper. So it's it's very complicated. Uh, but I think the the only solution will be a South African solution, and I think that's why you'll find many Palestinians and some of the Jewish formations are often referring to South Africa as a, a perfect example on how you can solve the Israeli-Palestinian uh, problem. Mm. Let uh, me uh, go to, okay, I thought I had a voice note here, but I do have a message here from Vuyo in Bloemfontein who says, Patricia, it seems uh, Arabs are the only race that has stood up for themselves against Caucasians. They have amazing fighting spirit. Do you share the same sentiment? Arians. (laughs) Well, he says Arabs. Oh, Arabs. Yes. Uh, well, it's, I don't know what it means by Caucasians because there are a lot of Arab Caucasians. <laughs> uh, you know, if you go to Syria, for example, there might be Semites, there might be Arabs, but uh, anthropologically, arguably, there are also Caucasians. Mm. So I don't know what the question is. <laughs> but if if it, if it refers to the Arabs standing against the the West, um, I. I'm not quite sure whether that has been that has happened. There have been a lot of conflicts and fights in the Middle East, um, with the Arabs trying to push back uh, certain uh, you know invaders of their land, particularly the French and the British. Hence, something called Sykes-Picot Agreement, which later on created a mess in the Middle East because it created new countries, uh, and that was a mess. So the fight continues. I mean, Arabs have not really won any war against Western invasion. Uh, They're continuing to do so, but the division and polarization of politics within various Arab factions and various Arab uh, geographical regions. For example, if you know the Maghreb, which is the the, the northern part of Africa, uh, the Gulf and the what's known as Sham, which is Syria, Palestine and Jordan, they're different Arabs, but they are Arabs, and they've got different political ambitions. So mm. it's a very complicated situation which will require, which will require to have another 30-minute talk <laughs> about the, those, the, those, those differences. But I think this struggle for the, the Arab society continues, and uh, it is up to the Arabs to determine uh, exactly what it is that they want. But mm. right now, I don't see a unified position of what it is that they exactly want. Understanding that this deal of the century is weighing, um, po- could weigh positively on uh, Trump's um, election campaign. What would happen if Trump does not win this election? Would this change the elements of this deal? Most likely, yes. Uh, I think the American foreign policy has always been constant. It's all about the details. I mean, Americans support a two-state solution, which is not viable. Uh, because of how the segmentation or, or the demarcation of the Palestine proper into small little townships, basically, it's not realistic for a country to be formed uh, with those kind of borders. But if Trump doesn't win, uh, you're most likely to see Joe Biden uh, continuing with 
the two-state solution. Uh, because that's adopted. South Africa also uh, maintains and supports a two-state solution. There are a number of countries in Europe that support two-state solutions. And it will only take perhaps a UN resolution and some countries individually going out and embracing a new political solution in Palestine uh, for for politics to change the course of action. In other words, for the two-state idea uh, to be replaced by something else. So I don't see anything changing uh, moving forward. They might change the deal of the century, uh, certain elements of it. Uh, but I don't think Joe Biden will want to reinvent the wheel. Uh, they'll, they'll probably embrace the deal of the century, particularly because the deal of the century has got an endorsement of Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, Egypt, and Jordan to an extent. Uh, the only country in, in the Gulf which has is, which is categorically rejected it is Kuwait. Uh, even Qatar, Qatar has kind of given it a lukewarm kind of Embrace. So no one is outrightly kind of rejected this deal of the century. The only country that has articulated uh, a, a much more stronger position uh, in the region is Bahrain and, of course, Iran. So the American action or attitude towards the Middle East or the deal of the century will be determined by how the countries in the region uh, accept the deal of the century or deal with the with the, the proposals uh, uh, presented by both Jared Kushner and Donald Trump. Tembisa, on that note, I'd like to thank you for your time and for sharing with us, and hopefully you'll be able to engage with us on many other issues around this particular deal and other international relations issues. Thank you so very much. Thank you very much. That was Tembisa Fakute, uh, who is Al Jazeera's researcher and analyst uh, for the Al Jazeera Center for Studies in Qatar, Doha. And he's also columnist in uh, Middle East Monitor, London, United Kingdom. SAFM, late night conversations. Let's get into closet conversations straight after this.